Join us as we unpack emerging trends and changes in digital transformation with the executives, entrepreneurs, and investors responsible for shaping the future of their industries. In these interviews, you can expect to hear candid conversations about the future of technology and the role it plays at some of the largest organizations in the world. Our hosts are members of the Kunai team, an agency that has been building software products for over 20 years. Today, your host will be Therun Basin. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us on the Kunai podcast, FinTech is Eating the World. I'm lucky to have Rebecca Masiera Kaufman join us today. Uh, thank you, Rebecca, for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Rebecca recently launched her advisory business, working with CEOs and business leaders in the FinTech space. She is on the board of Revolut USA, on the advisory board at Duco and Digital DX, and an advisor at Nota Bene. Previously, she had been at Citi for 12 years, and during that time was the CEO of Banamex USA. Uh, before that, spent 13 years at Wells Fargo. Uh, she comes from an education of a Stanford MBA and Brown undergrad, which she measured in semiotics, the study of signs and symbols and their use of interpretation. So very excited to have you today and your very uh, extensive and successful background. Thank you. It's, it's wonderful to be able to catch up today. So we're just going to jump into it. And we had some questions that we had been powwowing on before. So I'll jump into those questions and we can kind of uh, go from there. So you've been a bank executive for all 25 years by the count of Wells Fargo and City. Um, you've lived through the financial crisis, which was a very tough time for you and your team, as I imagine. What were the sacrifices or tough choices you had to make as a leader in that moment? Well, when I came in, I started in uh, the financial crisis. In fact, I changed organizations in 2008. And given we were in the middle of the thick of it, um, I really had us focus. At the time, I was president of, of um, a re the regional bank in California, Nevada, and really had us focus on attitude, um, mindset, and what was in our control. And what I mean by that is everyone was feeling a lot of fear. Clients were feeling very fearful. Employees were feeling fearful. And so I spent my time making sure that we focused on helping clients. Because when you help others, you feel much less fear because that's, that's the control. A um, couple of things I did. One, completely increase the frequency of communication uh, the the increased the visibility of management. So we were all out in the field every week in branches with employees, with clients, side by side, really being present for everyone. Um, the other thing I tried to do at the time was add a lot of context. So, you know, the United States started in 1776. We've had 47 recessions in that time period. Um, so quite a, quite, quite a few we had made it through before. So I really tried in the communication to focus the team on, we will come through. We will come through for our clients, we'll come through for each other, and we'll come through as an economy and as a country. And I think um, while it was super scary at the time, trying to stay focused on what was in our control. I like that message. It especially resonates after the year we just had where there was this external factor which nobody had a control of, right? And so it was kind of inviting that level of discomfort into, you know, um, our own lives across the globe. And right. 
so this level of positivity that you engendered to you and your team, I think is something that uh, is required. Is that something that you've seen yourself do throughout your banking experience and throughout your experience as a leader is uh, kind of showcasing that positivity and leading with that, with that mindset? Yes, I think it's important to have a one foot in reality and one foot in optimism all the time. So the the idea when you asked originally what were the hard choices, there were tons of hard choices, hard choices every day. But I don't lead in my conversation with the hard choices, lead with what we can do that's in our control. So even the hard choices were choices that were in our control. So in time of crisis, what are your hard choices? You need to preserve cash. Clients preserve cash, companies preserve cash. So then you look at what are those hard trade-offs? I hated those trade-offs, but they had to be done. That's what you do. So we stopped all non-essential current um, spending. So those are those trade-offs, like we weren't going to redesign and do remodels at that time. We delayed them. We said, okay, they're important to do. You always want to have a fresh look for your clients, but is that the most important thing in a recession? No. So those are the kinds of decisions you make. They're hard because people count on those. Um, you know, that affects the economy, right? If you're not bringing in the contractors to do the work for the remodel or refresh. Um, there were some very difficult technology spend decisions we had to make that we weren't going to upgrade all the technology we wanted to. We had to upgrade technology, but you can't do all of it that you might have done when you had um, a higher tide of income, if you will. So I think those are the hard choices you make, or we made, and one makes really in a crisis. Yep. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bookmark that higher tide comment because it's going to come in the in another part of the conversation when we talk about fintech specifically and how there's so much money in the space, and I think it's kind of floating all boats right now. And will there be something that happens when the tide goes out? But uh, given the experiences back in 08, and the experiences, you know, 10, 13 years later, the uh, executives are seeing today and facing today, are the tough choices that executives face today fundamentally different from even a decade or 15 years back? I think there are always commonalities about tough choices in crises. Each crisis has a different flavor, if you will. So what's unique about the current crisis is that it really created a different kind of fear not a financial fear as the leading fear, but a personal health fear. Um, scary like nothing when it's unknown, intangible, in the air. So I think COVID tapped into, um, again, something where as a leader, when, you're, when the financial crisis, sorry, when the crisis is about financials, you have, it's easier to talk it through, I think, than when the crisis might be about healthcare and you're in finance, right? So you know, we are not immunologists. So you have to really always cite the best knowledge from the healthcare industry to solve this crisis of um, fear, if you will, around health. But after that, then it becomes, if you, if there is such a thing as a standard playbook for crises, uh, the same things apply. You need to beef up the communications. You need to beef up your visibility. You need to be talking more to your clients, talking more to your employees, understanding their fears, addressing those fears. So I think that all is really the same kind of, if you want to call it a playbook, uh, would come in come into effect. Yep, yep. And banks are facing a twin not crises, but twin wins. One, which was COVID, which is affected the global economy and 
Um, that is obviously the biggest deal at the moment. But the other one is fintech. And so as this fintech revolution, as many say, are picking up speed, how do you think banks should approach this rapidly changing environment, especially when uh, things at a bank are much slower paced and there's an organizational, uh, I guess, uh, change that you also have to make as well. So you're not changing just the technology. It's actually the way you operate as a business. But uh, as a leader, how would you approach a rapidly uncertain shifting environment? Sure. So again, I don't think that the fintech revolution would be a crisis. I think it's an opportunity. I think the banking executives view all of it as a, an opportunity would be my guess, because changing technology, there's always change. And the question is how quickly and uh, for your own client base can you adopt and adapt and evolve in a safe and secure way for your clients. So I think that the conservatism of a larger institution, given millions of uh, millions of customers, is they may need to go at it a little bit slower. So they had made all this meet all the safety and soundness requirements because they have to protect their balance sheet that a fintech may not have to do because they don't have the balance sheet that they have to protect per se. So I think there's just some different issues that are going to make a larger institution um, potentially more conservative, but they will still do the evolution. They will still need to adapt, need to evolve. So I think most of the institutions I've been in have always had their own innovation teams, their own partnership teams. Um, and I think the more you can do that, collaborate, stay open-minded, uh, but also see how you can do it within the safety and soundness guardrails, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think with some of my conversations as well, it's been about back now to that, the high tide floats all boats. They're looking at FinTech and seeing that there's a lot of success out there, but it's in a high tide. And so uh, some of the strategies also wait and see when low tide comes, what still resonates with customers? What still has the strength of a business model behind it? And does it make sense now to get involved? And so I think that's something interesting that I'm looking to, I'd like to catch up in five years, I guess, and see what happened, what didn't, right? Sure, sure. And, and that's always going to be true in all industries, that when the tide is high, uh, you can possibly be swept along without all the fundamentals. And when a tide goes back out, you see who's quote unquote naked, right? Or, and, and I, but I think if you stay true to the fundamentals and have really a sound business plan with sound cash management, all those things on your balance sheet that you need so you can withstand fluctuations and volatility, then you'll make it through it. But if your funding and your run rate is, or your burn rate is such that you've got five months to go and a crisis hits, you're not going to make it, right? Yep. Not necessarily. So I think there's just some, you have to really manage that. What is your burn rate, run rate? What is your backup plan if you do hit a crisis? And, and we saw it in COVID. Some, many startups did need to close their doors in the early days of COVID. They hadn't, they didn't have the runway to make it. Yep. Yep. Hey there. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Kunai Podcast. Kunai Concepts designs and develops unique customer experiences that unite digital products with fintech for the world's top companies. We partner with our clients from start to finish to ensure that their product development efforts are always high velocity and customer aligned. This is why Fortune 500 companies, all four payment networks, five of the 10 top banks, and startups trust Kunai. And now, back to the episode. And I think 
you've been in the startup scene. You're uh, a San Franciscan, uh, I think born and raised. Is that correct? Born and raised. Yep. That's amazing. Um, and so we had talked before, you had talked about the soup of San Francisco. Um, and has that enabled you to think differently um, and take the path that you did and to respond to change in a more, I guess, eloquent or well-versed manner because you were in the thick of things since the beginning? You know, I feel really fortunate to be born here and raised here. I think I'm exposed to a lot of technology early and unconsciously. I think about who were the speakers in business school. I mean, Steve Jobs would come over and speak to my class. He would sit on the desk in the middle of the room and just chat with us. So, you know, we were constantly exposed to uh, leaders in the industry, but they weren't as famous as they are now at the time, right? So I think that um, there's a huge, huge ecosystem here that in your social life, in the environment, in your business life, we all interact in a way that um, I get a lot more exposure to high techs. Even the buildings I was in downtown, there were always high tech companies in the same buildings that we were in, in the elevators, just listening to the conversation or the age range in the elevator um, would always be fun to see what people were doing. But but what really struck strikes me is that I think here you get a lot um, early adoption in your cohort of friends. So everyone's getting a, a probably the kind of phone or the kind of technology faster than say in a place where it is not as much part of the fabric uh, where you are. And I think that's a real advantage. I, I remember when I would travel East or go to other places, I knew how to do things that just seemed second nature to me. That is probably second nature to my children that maybe wasn't second nature in a different state or a different age range. Yeah, I had moved from New York to San, uh, not San Francisco, but to the Bay Area. So I spent 10 years there and then came here. And in New York, I was also with American Express. And so at a big corporation, then moved over to Kenai and then moved to the Bay. But I must say the Bay has something to it. The people here are much more, I guess, opportunistic and believe in themselves that they themselves can go and do whatever they need. So I got So the confidence here is is unparalleled in a way. And there's a lot of really talented people. And you start getting in that mix and you start believing in things that even a few years ago uh, seemed out of reach. And so I think the air here is rarefied and it's it's pretty great. <laughs> you get a lot of blue sky in California. Yes. You get a lot of blue sky in San Francisco. And it does change your outlook. It does give you confidence. So definitely a good thing. Um, and you're also, which I think is super cool. So the Bay Area, one thing that I didn't realize that everybody should know is that the demographic, uh, not sorry, the geographic dividend here is fantastic. It's one of the most beautiful places on the planet. Um, and I've been lucky to see quite a bit of it. And so people here, they don't take it for granted. They're actually out and about all the time. Uh, depending on the startup you're on, they're doing hikes and you get to know each other by taking mushrooms, I think I've heard in the past. And so you have a very special set of people here in San Francisco that experiment with special things and do things. But there's like this idea of leadership and being outside and being together. And you've combined leadership in a similar way with leadership and fitness as a best way to approach learning. And you have a book coming out soon. Um, would love to hear more about uh, what you've learned and how, and how you think about uh, this specific uh, approach to leadership. 
Great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited. The book is going to be published um, September 14th. So it's called Fit CEO, Be the Leader of Your Life. And uh, we have a placeholder website called fitceobook.com. So once it's available for ordering, people can access it there. And what's what, what, a number of things brought about. I, I traveled, oh, I don't know, 200, 300,000 miles a year for some of my jobs. Um, and I was constantly on the road visiting team members, clients. And a lot of people would say to me, I don't know how you do it, either mentally or physically. And I, I, I thought, I need to write a book someday because it's intuitive to me. Maybe it's because I'm from San Francisco. I don't know. And so I, I, I definitely share some stories about, um, for instance, in the Bay Area, when I would be sitting at a desk all day long, if I had an interviewee who was willing to do an interview on a walk, I always asked them and we'd go for a walk and do the interview. I found I got to know the person a lot better. And um, there wasn't that intensity of sitting across the desk for me with a piece of paper and a resume and grilling each other. And uh, people to this day say they remember that interview like no other interview they had in their career. Um, I would tell people who traveled with me to please bring their tennis shoes because I wanted to walk to dinner or walk back. I would be end up in cities like Moscow or Hong Kong or I don't know, Santiago. I would have been in hotels and airplanes. And so the only time to see the city would be when we were going between places. And then if we were only in a car, I was never moving. So I, I really tried to be very disciplined about walking, moving, exercising. And I share a lot of that philosophy. The book is much more than fitness. It's about mental fitness as a leader, spiritual fitness and uh, physical fitness. Absolutely. And they're all interlinked. And, and there's 30 chapters in the book. You can you can open any chapter. It might be on travel or it might be on managing a crisis or something. You can read the whole book through. It's a very small book. Um, and my co-author and I uh, share a lot of tips. So it's a, a fun read and I'm excited about it coming out again, September 14th at fitceobook.com. Congratulations. That's exciting. And I love that. I, I love the walking and talking portion of it specifically because that resonates with me and something I love to do pre-COVID. And that's why Zoom meetings at the end of the day, I find them extremely tough. And so I'm looking forward to getting back into the office and walking with people, not sitting at a desk with people, but walking exactly. And so between this and my Peloton, that's what's kept me sane. But uh, going outside, there's no, there's no, going outside and walking is such like a natural rhythm and important part of our like livelihood. So uh, looking forward yeah. to that. I think I walked five miles a day the first nine months of COVID to the point that I thought, oh, my knees are starting, you know, like this is, I got to shift. I got to mix it up. But everything was closed, right? So, but that became my sanity is the walk. Yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely agree. And even here, I get to walk outside. And the reason why I love the Bay Area, you get to walk outside, you're immediately in nature. You can go into any of the parks. They're all around you. It's, it's a special place. Um, but yeah, Rebecca, quite beautiful. And I live near the Presidios. I get to walk through all this beautiful treed area. That's very nice. That's very cool. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today. I've enjoyed the discussion. You're very welcome. I have enjoyed it as well. And look forward to, I say, fintech eating the world, as you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we bought it from Mark Andreessen, unfortunately. Uh, but I look forward to catching up in five years and seeing what's happening in fintech.
All right. I look forward to it as well. Thank you, Rebecca.